You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Commander Richard Jaddick, DO. Dr. Jaddick has recently written a book, On Call in Hell. Also has been decorated with the Bronze Star and a Citation for Valor while serving in Iraq. He is the only naval physician to be so decorated. Thank you very much, Dr. Jaddick, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Jaddick was a senior officer at age 38 at Camp Lejeune when he volunteered to go to Iraq when the 1st Battalion, 8th Marine Regiment, was short a junior grade physician. Tell me, Dr. Jaddick, what caused you to volunteer at that particular time? 1st Battalion, 8th Marines was a unit I had actually been on a deployment with before. But I was the senior medical officer on what we call a Marine Expeditionary Unit, and they were the battalion that worked on the, on the unit. So the two doctors that were their battalion surgeons worked for me, and I knew the, the staff and the people very well. And what wound up happening was as I was sitting at, a, at the brigade level, I realized that these guys were going and, and that the two doctors there were leaving for residency and, and they had orders and other things going on, so they weren't going to be there. And I saw a bunch of emails asking for somebody to kind of roger up and say, hey, they'll go with the battalion. And I wasn't in that chain of command, but after a while, I knew too many people not to say, hey, I think I could probably do this job. Well, I know your wife is a pediatrician and was soon to deliver. In fact, I think she delivered five days before you shipped out for Iraq. That's correct. Did that play some kind of role in your decision? The night I went home and told her I volunteered, you know, I, I think I deserved a medal for that in and of itself. That takes a lot of courage to walk home and say, hey, I think I'm going to be leaving in a month to go to Iraq. She took it very well. For me to deploy was something that we'd been through before. I'd been on deployments before. My wife understood it. Having a new baby certainly added a different dimension. But we looked at it really as as the, the glass was half full because I got to see my baby born whereas I've been on so many deployments where I've watched my friends who, who get the phone call on the ship in the middle of the night saying, you're now a father. So we consider ourselves lucky. I know there's a quote in your book that you thought you were going to be a football player who would spend his entire career in the locker room. Did that go through your mind at this time? Sure. When you've trained in the military, trains and trains and trains to do a certain job, at some point you want to see if you, you, know, if you have what it takes. And that certainly plays a big role, especially when you see your friends, the people that, that you've trained with, and they're going over and they're doing those things, and now it's, it's time for you to step up to the plate. Could you tell me a little bit about that first week in November when the, I believe it was the Phantom Fury attack, began to take place in Fallujah, which at that time was deep in the center of Sunni territory and seething with insurgents? During that first week, as things started unfolding, I mean, it, the things that I was noticing were and I noticed this long before we got there. When we had been at the at Haditha Dam, sitting on the dam and just running combat patrols out of the dam, I, I realized that, you know, they talk about a golden hour. Makes sense. Sure, the faster you get somebody to surgical care, the better chances they stand of surviving. However, what I started to realize with this penetrating trauma, you know, as soon as possible, and, and, and anybody who's, you know, common sense dictates as soon as possible, the sooner you can get somebody with some experience to an injury, the, the better off they're going to be. And, as this, this thought process went through my head as we showed up in Fallujah and preparing to, to enter the, the battle space of Fallujah, I knew we had to get forward, and I knew that if the closer I could be, because most of these guys were going to just have wounds where if we could stop bleeding, we were going to save lives, I knew the closer that I could be, my people could be, 
the better chance we we're going to have of, of, of saving Marines. Did you make a reconnaissance mission to go forward to see where you might set up an advanced station? I did. I went out with the headquarters element, the colonel and the company commanders uh, on a night recon to see exactly how what the distance was going to be from what we call the forward edge of the battle area or the FIBA. And at that point is right behind that you have an assembly area, and that's typically where your logistics and all kind of set up. And it's not outside of the fire zone, but it's a distance away. So if you take wounded and you, and you, you want to load supplies up, that's where you do it. And I wanted to see how far away that was going to be from getting back to the surgical company, which is the base that I just left. And from there to there was 45 minutes to an hour. And I just thought that was too long. I thought being at the FIBA or at the assembly area was too far away from when somebody was going to get injured, because now we're talking still another two kilometers into Indian country and getting shot at and IEDs and things that go on with battle and confusion and chaos. And when somebody's down in the middle of that battlefield, if you're not there, they have to be evacuated. And getting evacuated just to the assembly area would have taken 45 minutes. And then from the assembly area back to a surgical company was another 45 minutes. So it was at that point during that recon, I said, we really have to push as close as we possibly can. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today with me is Commander Richard Jadick, DO, who has been decorated while serving as a physician in Iraq. This might be a naive question by a non-military person, but what about helicopters and what about using the roads, which, if you look at the maps, your surgical center really doesn't seem that far away. And you're right, by mileage. And if you talk about helicopters, the helicopter situation, in any kind of urban combat, anybody with a pistol, really, you know, and, and RPGs were abundant, can take down a helicopter very easily. Uh, it's crowded, the height of the buildings, and, and to get a uh, helicopter down and to slowly drop a helicopter into a zone to evacuate a patient puts that helicopter at great risk. And I think that Black Hawk Down and the situation in Mogadishu really played into our Kazavak plan because right there and then, the CG, the commanding general, said there will be no helicopter evacuations. And, and that makes sense. If I'm going in with a helicopter to evacuate two wounded Marines, but my chances are, are a good 40% that that helicopter may get shot out of the air, and then I'm going to have more wounded Marines on the ground that we have to find and, and get a hold of, it makes sense to evacuate everything by road. Now, if you take the road situation, you are looking at as you go into uh, an urban environment, you're looking at all kinds of booby traps that go along the main roads. So you're not taking those avenues of approach until they're cleared. And then at the same time, you don't know what to expect on those roads as far as obstacles and what's between getting that Marine out to the assembly area and, and to the surgical company. So all that comes into play when you're planning your evacuation, which is really 99% of what I did was just kind of think about what we were going to encounter and, and how to get the Marines some medical care quickly, and what I found was it's easier to get me to the to the injury than it is for the Marines to get out of the city. This sounds like a whole new concept of house calls. In other words, bringing the doctor actually to the patient in a very advanced stage of firefights. Is this something new? Were you actually trained in this, or is this an evolving process? I mean, it has been something that I myself have thought about. Some of the battalion surgeons I'd worked with before in the corpsman are all about putting medical care as close to the point of injury as is reasonably possible. It makes sense when you think, listen, trauma means getting the right people to the right place as quickly as possible, and that's how we 
trained in Haditha. That's how I, my, my philosophy was all the way up. It just made sense to me. I knew that if I could get forward, if I could treat Marines, A, I was going to save lives, and B, I was going to affect the battlefield in that my CO was not going to have to, my commanding officer, my boss, wasn't going to have to worry about wounded Marines who were sitting on a battlefield waiting to be evacuated. He could push, and the thing that's going to end casualties the quickest is to finish the mission, which is to get through the city and secure the city. So anything that makes him move faster through that city, and one of those things is for me to get the wounded and get them treated and get them out of there, and for his Marines to continue to push forward, makes for actually a safer environment for the rest of the Marines on the battlefield. I know you've been a Marine for seven or eight years before you went to medical school. Do you think this combination of being a soldier first and then a physician played into this ability for you to see what it's like to be a wounded soldier and need care immediately? Having that seven years of experience did a couple things for me. I knew that if I was ever forward, I always like to know that there was somebody there who's going to going to pull for me. If if I'm going to risk everything I have, which is at that point in my life, I need somebody backing me up with that. And that's going to make me drive forward more. And I I knew that. So I knew that these Marines, young kids, are going to push that much harder if they know they have somebody there who's willing to make the sacrifice to get them out. And that's the corpsman, really. I mean, it's the corpsman, it's the doctors, it's those people that that are available to be there on on a minute's notice. Now, if I sit in the rear and I am not there to support those guys forward, then then you, you start to look over your shoulder a little bit more, and, and you're not pressing the engagement. And at the same time, I had this rapport, because I was a Marine, that I could talk to my, my boss, and I could tell him what I thought was the best place for me and my corpsman to be to really help him with his mission. His mission is to, is to secure that city, and how am I going to support that? When I can present that to him in a way that he understands, and that tends to be Marine-speak, he's going to give me a lot of credibility and give me a lot of leeway with my thought process. Do you remember those first casualties in that first week of November? Sure. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget them. My very first casualty was actually a corpsman, a recon corpsman, that wasn't with our unit. But I got the call over the radio that he had a sucking chest wound and he was unstable. So immediately we mounted a, what we call a mobile assault platoon, which was sitting at the edge waiting to go in. And so it wasn't more than 30 seconds from the radio call to us getting in the vehicles and moving in until we got to the breach, or the breach is where they cross over from the FIBA into making an assault. And at that point, we dismounted, we got off our vehicles and started to patrol, trying to find this Marine. And as this time went on, it took us 45 minutes on foot, getting shot at, and to actually find this Marine. It was, it was very chaotic. It was something I'll never forget. And realizing that even though it's a grid, we had maps, and we had all these technical gear, you know, bottom line was we had to find this guy in all this rubble and mess and, and figure out how to get him out of there. When I got to him, he was relatively stable. All they did was put a, a chest seal on him and get ready to evacuate, got him into the uh, evacuation vehicle. And then it was the second call that I got that day as we were moving out that Bravo Company had been ambushed down in the center of the city. And, and the company commander was a good friend of mine. I knew a lot of the staff the staff NCOs that were part of Bravo Company I played cards with, and when the call came, you had four down on the street. I knew that they were in trouble, and, and we moved in that direction. Did you have to make a decision as far as triage at that particular point? When we got down into what was the cultural center, and Bravo Company was trying to take the cultural center, we pulled up, and I was in the back of this track, which is dark and a red light. And I was treating one Marine, and 
and he was stable, but he was tachycardic and sick. I mean, he had a bullet in his chest, and so I was afraid for the patient. And then you become very afraid of yourself. You're afraid for yourself because you hear the explosions and the chaos that's going on outside, and the vehicle is taking rounds, and it's an armored vehicle. You're you're hoping that it's stopping them. And then the track goes down the back end of this vehicle, so you can get out. And you look out, and it's and it's smoke, and it's it smells like cordite. And there are Marines all over. And as you look out, there are insurgents coming at you. And it's very calmly Marines step behind as you're trying to get off the vehicle and nullify that threat. Well, I know from the terminology used in your declaration that you did an outstanding job. I want to thank Commander Jadik for being with us. He's been our guest, and we've been discussing medical care under fire in Iraq. I've been your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.